Welcome to the resumption of our Didache Divine Service. Session 13 is tonight. It is the first of three on the Lord's Prayer. This is the 10th day of Christmas, and we celebrate the Epiphany this Saturday night at a 5 o'clock service. I would encourage you to come. Uh, Sergio Trifa from Romania, a student at the Fort Wayne Seminary, is going to uh, engage in a sermon with me for that service, and we will have a chili slash soup supper afterwards, uh, very light, uh, and so you're invited to come to that. Candlelight during the season of Christmas and truly throughout the church year represents Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. As such, then, it also signifies the word of God because the content of all of the scriptures is Christ. And one of the things that I've appreciated during this Didache Divine Service time as we've gone through the catechism we have encountered portions of Christian doctrine that are usually celebrated at other times in the church year. So we're in the season of the incarnation and the epiphany of our Lord, and tonight our reading will be the crucifixion. Some might think that has no place in a Christmas celebration or an epiphany celebration, and nothing could be further from the truth. So the juxtaposition of these things together, uh, also in Christmas tide, is an opportunity to reflect in a different way about the significance of the manger, the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, and tonight Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and his gift of the Lord's Prayer to us who are baptized into Christ. So with that introduction, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, let your merciful ears be attentive to the prayers of your servants. And by your word and spirit, teach us how to pray that our petitions may be pleasing before you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hymn 773, Hear Us, Father, When We Pray.
I invite you to keep the hymnal open for just a moment on that hymn 773. We have meditated upon the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. They proclaim repentance, that we turn away from ourselves as sinners to reliance upon Christ. They teach us what is good and what is right. The Creed proclaims the message of salvation that saves us from our sin, all that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for us. And in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer preaches the holy life of faith in Christ that claims the promises of God's love in the gospel that the creed articulated. And when we can confess our sins, when we pray, we are actually not only crying out for forgiveness, but we are asking for God to complete in us what he would have us be and do according to the Ten Commandments as we are called to love God and love the neighbor. So in this hymn 773, it begins by saying, Hear us, Father, when we pray, as God the Father, first person of the Trinity, through your Son, second person of the Trinity, and in your Spirit, third person. To pray in the Spirit is to pray in and according to God's word and promises. When we look at the Lord's Prayer tonight, every word of the Lord's Prayer is first God's word. So to pray in the Spirit is always prayer based upon the foundation of God's word through which the Holy Spirit works. By your Spirit's word, convey all that we through Christ inherit. That's speaking about the promises that we inherit through Christ. That as baptized heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ, we may truly pray. So the introduction to the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven. That's baptismal language. As the Catechism will say, with these words, Our Father, he tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father through Christ and that we are his true children. Christ, so that, with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him, as dear children ask their dear father. So the confidence that as baptized heirs, we may truly pray. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer of the baptized. Stanza two, when we know not what to say, and I think we have all found ourselves in that position as Christians troubled by the world, troubled by things in our lives, things we're struggling with, things that are troubling us in the lives of others, when we know not what to say and our wounded souls are pleading, may your spirit night and day groan within us interceding. Now, if it is true, as we just said, that to pray in the spirit is always to pray according to God's word, then when the spirit groans within us, night and day, and intercedes for us, it must be on the basis of God's word. So when we take up the Lord's prayer, when we know not what else to pray, we are not only praying in the spirit, but the spirit is interceding for us 
with groanings too deep for words on the basis of the word of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave to us. By his size, too deep for words, we are heard. Jesus' advocate, an advocate is a go-between. We can ask Christians to pray for us, and we should, but the access to our Heavenly Father is not through other Christians or through saints who have died, but through Christ. He is our advocate, our intermediary. Jesus' advocate on high, sacrificed on Calvary's altar, through your priestly blood we cry. Hear our prayers, though they may falter. Place them on your Father's throne as your own. Two things about this stanza that breathe such rich biblical theology. And the first is that God hears our prayers not because, Nicole, you are such a pious person, not on the basis of your works, or because you've married a devout husband, Tom, so then he hears your prayers because of that good work, or he hears your prayers because you have two fine sons, the fruit of your marriage. No, he hears our prayers by the merits of Jesus, our high priest, who is our advocate, our go-between. The second thing that I want to articulate, not only on the basis of this stanza, but all four stanzas, and the Lord's Prayer itself. And that is that the pronoun our at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, doesn't simply mean every Christian who prays, collectively our Father, but the most important person in that pronoun is Jesus to whom we are joined in our baptism and by whose merits as our advocate in his suffering and death, we have access to the Father. You can't get any closer to God the Father than being in Christ and Christ in us and to pray and to intercede through Christ and his merits to the Father's throne. So our Father who art in heaven, Always think of you and Jesus and the rest of faithful, baptized Christendom. And finally, stanza four, by your spirit, now attend to our prayers and supplications. As like incense, they ascend to your heavenly habitations. May their fragrance waft above God of love. Incense, as always throughout the Bible, symbolic of penitent prayers ascending to God, but always on the basis of the sacrifice that Christ has made. So in the Old Testament, those sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice of Christ, the frankincense, the season of gold, frankincense and myrrh, the frankincense on the altar of incense, the incense smoke would go up symbolizing the prayers of the penitent faithful for God's help, deliverance, salvation. And it was heard through the merits of the sacrifice, not of animals, sheep and goats and turtle doves, but the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. So I wanted to draw your attention. This is an excellent 
hymn on prayer. And all of the hymns chosen for our Didache Divine Services highlight the catechesis. With that, we turn to a shorter reading than we have been having. It is from, again, the Gospel of Mark as we have tried to take most of our New Testament readings from this year in Didache. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it is Thursday night of Holy Week, the night before his crucifixion. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Uh, Jim, if you need a sheet, there are some at the door. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Now, before going into the eight questions that I have before you, which summarize the catechesis and help lay the foundation for us concerning prayer, we have just observed the text again. Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And then look at his prayer in verse 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And the Gospels, if you compare Matthew and Mark and Luke, indicate that he prayed this prayer fervently. If it be possible, let this cup pass for me, not once, not twice, but three times. Notice, what is the occasion of his praying? For him, personally, what is the occasion for his praying? 
according to the text. Yes? What is the occasion for his praise? What's going on with him, Verla? He's sorrowful. Yes, that's the, the, the context of these, his praying is he is sorrowful even unto death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. His soul, his human soul, he's exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death because his hour has come. What is his hour? His suffering and his death. Notice what he prays. Take this cup away from me. On the one hand, take it away. Take the suffering. Take the sorrow away. Because for him, what will this suffering and death mean in terms of his relationship with the Father? What will that mean? Separation. And we hear that upon the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, because upon him was laid the sins of the world when we looked at the St. John Passion. Is it right for a man to want to remain in communion and fellowship with God the Father? Absolutely it is. So when he prays, take this cup away from me, it is not the prayer of doubt or despair, but is a prayer that expresses what a man should want. Remember when we were talking about the Ten Commandments, we kept seeing our human weakness, our faithlessness, our sin, and we always emphasized how Jesus is and does for us what we fail to do, what we fail to be. We talked about him as the second Adam, what Adam failed to be, a man who trusted in the Father with all his heart, the one who prayed, the one who listened. Jesus prays. Remember, first commandment, trust me. Jesus trusts in his Father. Second commandment, pray to me. That's what he does. Third commandment, listen to me. So how we summarize those commandments, we see it in Jesus here. He trusts in his Father. Faith is the foundation for prayer. And faith in God's word. And he cries out on the basis of that. Let this cup pass from me. It was not an incorrect prayer, but notice what he says. What he says next is, Nevertheless, not my will, but what you will. So his will as a man desiring to remain in communion and fellowship with God for him here and not be separated by the horrors of hell, even then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we know that it is the Father's will that he suffer the horrors of hell. Now, Jesus suffered this, the horrors of hell so that you and I can be spared the horrors of hell. However, that does not mean that suffering and hardship and anguish is not a part of our lives, where we sometimes feel very much like Jesus did when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful 
even to death. Take this away from me. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll ask it rhetorically. How many times have you been in a situation in life where I don't know how much more of this I can take? I don't know how much more of this I can endure. It might be physical pain. It might be emotional pain. It may be a burden of conscience. It may be the slings and arrows of Satan attacking you because of your sin. I can't take it anymore. That may be what you're feeling on that precipice. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Take it away. But Jesus' prayer is instructive. It's not wrong to pray, take it away. But we learn from what he prays, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That what God ordains for the Christian and what God permits the Christian to suffer under as a Christian is always good. Because he is our heavenly father and his will is good. And that calls for faith too, doesn't it? To believe that God's will is good, even if it contradicts what I want, and what I want may be something very good, the deliverance from the suffering that I'm going through. But the suffering and death of Jesus and how he prays in faith, not my will, but yours be done, teaches us something fundamental about our lives as Christians. We pray for things that God promises us. We pray for deliverance from suffering and the sorrows of life. But finally, prayer rests in what God ordains is always good, in his will. So prayer is not bending God's will to our will, throwing a temper tantrum, stamping our feet, insisting it must be my way. But rather, prayer is asking God to make his will ours. And that's what Jesus is praying for here. Let this cup pass for me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The disciples, he took all of them into the garden. He took Peter, James, and John with him deeper in when he prays these prayers. And he tells them to watch and pray. Can they do it? They can't do it. They fail. Which ought to be of some consolation to you. Because if you feel weak and faltering in your prayers, rest assured, you're no different than the disciples. Their salvation was entirely in the one who was faithful unto death in his prayers, in the laying down of his life. And that is true for you. So, going back to why God hears our prayers, it is based on the merits of Jesus. It is not based upon the strength of your faith. He hears your prayers on the merits of Jesus. It is not based upon your goodness. 
upon your spiritual achievements. You have just as much access to God in the prayer that is uttered in faith from a feeble heart that claims the promises of the Lord as the most famous and noble saint. Your prayers are not less heard than that saint because they're heard on the basis of the merits of Jesus. All right. With that, then, we go into these questions. What was Jesus experiencing when he went to Gethsemane to pray? That one we already answered, right? The anguish of his impending crucifixion and what that would mean. How did he address the Father? Comes out in English this way. Abba, Father. Abba is like dear daddy. It's, it's a term of affection that a child has for his father. If a child calls a father daddy, it's because the child knows that the father loves him or loves her. And that's the relationship that is established for us in our baptism. It's picked up in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. All too many Christians, even Lutheran Christians, who are baptized into Christ and who believe in the Lord Jesus still think that God is up here and they're down here and they got to grovel to make themselves worthy of being in his presence. Well, first of all, you can't make yourself worthy of being in his presence. Jesus has done that for you. That is the inheritance of your baptism. He loves you and is more endeared toward you than the best earthly father ever was. Some earthly fathers are bad fathers, but take the best earthly father who loves his children, sacrifices himself for his children, loves the mother of his children, his wife. His love is greater for you than that, and he is closer to you than that. And in Christ Jesus, there is that Abba, Father, affection. Jesus, you see it here. See, when we talk about Jesus being faithful unto death, even the death of the cross, it means that he, for, for us, for you, and for our salvation, he believed his Father loved him even when the only thing he was experiencing was the horrors of death and the agonies of hell. Because the Father told him, you're my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay. What did he pray for? Now, we already indicated that, right? Two things, but they're related. Take the suffering away, and it was not wrong for him to do that. But then finally, not my will, but yours be done. So ultimately, he prayed for God's will. That makes prayer, in a very real sense, infinitely simple. Lord, you just do what you're supposed to do. Do what you want to do. Do what you promise to do. Help me to understand it and know it from your word. A lot of times we pray much more for things that are unknown. When the heart of our prayers as Christians 
should be petitioning and praying for these things that God in his word says he wants us to have. So the Ten Commandments would give us quite a list of that, right? To honor our father and our mother, to help and support our neighbor in his physical need under the Fifth Commandment, to lead a chaste and pure life under the Sixth Commandment, and uh, to speak well of our neighbors and not to gossip and to cover their actions in the kindest way. There's, there's just a few things that God wants us to do. And we would never pray, Lord, help me lead a chaste and decent life and not commit an act of fornication if it is your will. What do you mean, if it is your will? Of course it is God's will that we lead a chaste and decent life. Jim? Mary's prayer upon hearing the word of Gabriel, exactly, a simple amen. Let it be to me according to your word. That's right. So you see, this is an aspect of prayer. Prayer is like inhaling and exhaling. As you inhale or receive the word of God, then you exhale that word in your prayers. So prayer encompasses hymnody. It encompasses liturgy. It encompasses creed as we speak back to God what he has spoken to us. There's many a morning where I feel cold and indifferent. But if Beth and I are praying the Psalms for the day responsibly, they have a way of reviving my spirit. That's exactly how it works. So the word of God comes into us and then we breathe it out. What does he teach us by praying, not what I will, but what you will? Ultimately, prayer is about asking that God's will be done. So then, with it, that he strengthen our faith to believe that this is good, that this is right. Think about this. If Jesus needed the gift of prayer, which is the gift of that relationship with his Father, Though he is the son of God in human flesh and has no sin, how much more do we need the gift of prayer? So prayer is the voice of faith in Jesus that casts every burden upon him because he cares for us. So what does this teach us by what does he teach us by fervently repeating the same prayer? What's that? Don't stop. Don't, don't stop. Yeah, when we're praying and when prayer, which is what prayer is, is based on the promises of God, then you're speaking back to God his promises to you, and in so doing, you benefit from hearing that word, reciting those promises, those sure and certain promises. So I think of, for example, Psalm 130. It's a short one. It's a penitential one. Out of the depths have I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. Now, the context of the psalm means that he's talking about the depths of sin, of a troubled, plagued conscience. Okay? Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. If thou, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? 
It's a rhetorical question, no one. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I don't know how many times I've repeated that phrase, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be, for, be, be feared. I'm addressing God. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It is both my petition to the Father and also his word to me, isn't it? With the Lord there is forgiveness. And then finally the psalm, my soul waits for the Lord. More than they that watch for the morning, yes, more than they that watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with him there is plenteous redemption. Okay, that's all Psalm 130. Okay, and so the nighttime, the dark night of the soul, um, when people are sick, when people are dying, uh, the darkness, the night is strangely the most difficult time usually, compared to the day time. And that's also picked up in the psalm, the dark night of the soul, when devil, world, and flesh crowd around us. Okay. Number six, what does Jesus identify in the disciples which is also common to us? The flesh is weak, yeah. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the Spirit is not only a reference to the Holy Spirit, who is poured out upon us in our baptism, but how the Holy Spirit creates the new man of faith in us. And so, for example, this week we have in the congregation at prayer from Galatians 5, the flesh, a reference to the corruption of original sin in us, the old Adam, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the Holy Spirit who creates faith in the new man in us, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Which is no excuse to let's, let's then indulge ourselves in not doing the things that we wish, no, but rather it identifies the human weakness. That was what we see in the disciples. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And so prayer is given to us as weak Christians, not because we're strong Christians. As doubting Christians, not because we have resolute, fervent faith at all times. And since he hears on the basis of his promises, on the basis of the merits of Jesus, and on the basis of being his baptized children, his ear and heart is always open to us. Okay, what does, um, uh, number seven, the Father did not take away Jesus' suffering. What do we learn from this? We, we might, the suffering might remain in our lives. But there is a promise of God, many of them, but one I quote often from Romans, the present sufferings, Bill, of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the resurrection and for all eternity. So the sufferings of this life, persecution. The sufferings of this life, the pain in broken relationships. The suffering of this life, the grief over the death of a loved one. 
the sufferings of this life, loneliness, the temptation to despair, the sufferings of this life, the pangs of a guilty conscience. And the list could go on and on. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But we learn from the suffering of Jesus, God accomplished his greatest good in that suffering. And in that suffering, he embraced and took to himself all of our suffering. The grief and suffering that we experience over the death of a beloved wife or child, the grief and the suffering, the pain of physical torture that some Christians have endured, he's embraced it all. You are the closest to Jesus in this life when you experience human suffering. Then you come to know and appreciate more deeply what it is that he endured for you. But as God then accomplished his greatest good in Jesus' suffering, what greater good could there be than to restore our life and salvation with God for all eternity that he promises to accomplish good in us through the things that we suffer? So that's part of the subject matter then of our prayer, that we pray for that. So it's, it's less needed at times that the suffering is taken away and more needed at times that we learn to trust God's good purposes in the midst of that suffering. Or when we're denied good things that we might otherwise desire. So how did the Father answer Jesus' prayer and what do we learn from this? Well, do you have an answer? Kent? Trust me. Well, how is that evidenced in what happened in Jesus at the end of the narrative in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because you're actually correct. Look at what he said. After the third time, he says, it is enough. The hour has come. I'm ready. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going to the cross. My betrayer is at hand. So the answer to the prayer was not that the suffering would be taken away, but he would face it head on with resolute faith in his God and Father. Okay. Jim. It is recorded in Luke's gospel that angels ministered to him. There's an answer. And what do the angels minister with? Always with the word. And you can never separate the word from the spirit of God. So as Jesus is anointed by the word and spirit of God at his baptism, these periods we see the temptation in the wilderness, suffering there. Angels minister to him with the word of God. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, not in the Mark's account, uh, but elsewhere, the angels minister to him with the word of God. That's why prayer is the foundation for faith, and that's why you can then turn over your page to Roman numeral 4, and this summary, and, and it's all found in the narrative that we just had. Number one, God's word is the foundation for prayer. Jesus gives us the words to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, every word, petition, is God's word. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
we see embodied in Jesus what the gift of prayer is according to the Lord's Prayer. So every petition of the Lord's Prayer is first a promise of God to us, then it becomes our prayer to God. We speak back to God what he speaks to us, which we spoke about a moment ago. Number two, prayer is the voice of faith. I can't underscore that enough. Prayer is the voice of faith. But when you're uttering God's word in the midst of your doubts, God's word that you utter in prayer helps to strengthen the faith and thereby the voice of faith that claims the promises of God's word. So God's word reflects God's will for us. And that's very important. When we pray, thy will be done in the Lord's prayer, how do we know what God's will is? From his word. Therefore, the primary focus for us as believers is to cry out to God to give us the very things that he himself promises us and desires for us. As I said earlier, all too often Christians perceive of prayer as asking God for what we want rather than what he wants for us and knows is best for us, which doesn't mean we can't ask God for what we want. Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. But finally, the voice of faith in prayer rests upon God's will. In prayer, the Christian desires what God make uh, that God make his will our will, rather than the other way around. Number three, God's word is, about, is what gives certainty to prayer. I don't know if he hears my prayers. I don't know if my prayer is right. Well, if you pray Lord's Prayer, believe in Jesus, that's the right prayer, because he said, when you pray, say this. Or all 150 psalms are prayers. All 150 psalms are God's word. You, you never have to wonder, if I pray this psalm, is this a proper prayer? Yeah, it is, because God gave it to you to pray. So back to the hymn, when we know not what to pray, and the Spirit intercedes for us, you take up the Spirit's intercession, which is contained in those prayers, the Lord's Prayer, the Psalter, the great canticles, etc. Number four, our baptism gives us the rights and privileges of a child. See, only Christians can pray the Lord's Prayer because only Christians are baptized and believe in Jesus. So the Lord's Prayer is not a universal prayer. It's a prayer for baptized children of God. To call upon God as dear children, call upon their dear Father. We'll see that in just a second in the small catechism. And finally, number five, our prayers are heard for Christ's sake, not because of our merits or worthiness, as baptized children of God, we have access to God through the merits of Jesus' death for our sins. Therefore, our Heavenly Father never turns away his child who comes to him through faith in Jesus. Never. This is the meaning of through Jesus Christ our Lord, which so often concludes Christian prayer. Now what I'd like for you to do is take your hymnal out to page 323, and we're going to briefly highlight these things. See, the points one through five, we already talked about in conjunction with the introduction to the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. And while we were discussing that, and now I gave you those five points, it was like three times we 
we were at that. So you kind of have notes there in one through five. Those one through five notes on prayer, uh, keep it with you. Remember it. They, they'll, they pertain to next week's lesson as we go into the fourth and the fifth petition and so forth. Um, as we have the Canaanite woman who cries out to Jesus who doesn't appear to be concerned about her. It applies to the stilling of the storm, which will be the third reading from Mark when we look at the end of the Lord's Prayer. So those five points are foundational, and I hope you will see them echoed here in the introduction, first, second, and third petitions. So let me ask you, what is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. What does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. You know, the, the catechism can help teach you grammar and things like that, even if you don't know the... the um, the words that describe the parts of speech and stuff. With these words, what words? With the words, our Father who art in heaven. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe, to believe what? That he is our true Father. He wants us to believe that. And that we are his true children. He wants us to believe that. And why? Purpose. So that. Why does he want us to believe he's the true Father and we're the true children? So that, with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him. Like, like dear children, ask their dear father, and they have no inhibitions in doing that. Because they know daddy loves me, and he's made promises to me, and he protects me, and he feeds me, and he clothes me, and he cares for me. Now, there's many fathers who don't do that, but our heavenly father is absolutely the quintessential, and we are named after him, not the other way around. So we are invited to believe that we are the children of God through Christ, and that's a baptismal petition. Go to the first petition. What is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. Go to the second petition. What is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. Okay, and then go to the third petition. What is the third petition? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. Do you notice the similarity between those three answers for the first three petitions, the first Q&A? God's name is certainly holy in itself. We pray it may be kept holy among us also. The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself. Without our prayer, we pray it may come to us also. The good and gracious will of God is done by itself. Without our prayer, we pray it may be done among us also. Well, if if God's name is hallowed without our prayer and his kingdom comes without our prayer and his will is done without our why pray? Well, because we want his name to be hallowed among us, his kingdom to come among us, and his will to be done among us. 
The reason the catechism three questions are that way for the first three petitions is because of the phrase which in English is attached to the end of the third petition, but which actually belongs to the first and the second as well as the third. And that is the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. So God's name is holy in heaven. We pray it may be holy among us on earth. God's kingdom, well, flourishes in heaven, his gracious reign. We pray that it may come to us and flourish among us. His good and gracious will is done in the heavenly realms. We pray it may be done among us. So structurally in Greek, that phrase in English, on earth as it is in heaven, applies to the first, second, as well as third. Okay? All right, let's go back to the first petition. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. One of the things I love about this question and answer is there's a there are two prayers within the answer itself. You know? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But it's profane when we turn away, you know, protect us from this, heavenly Father. So you can do that with the whole catechism. You can turn every explanation into a prayer. This kind of gives you uh, a little bit of an example of that. But the first petition, hallowed be thy name, is about the word of God. We are taught that God's name is kept holy when we teach and live according to God's word. So I'm teaching about prayer tonight according to God's word, according to the gospel of Christ. So therefore, God's name is being kept holy among us in this catechesis. Okay? When you receive that word and believe it, and when you take that word that you've received in catechesis into your life of prayer, God's name is kept holy in your life. Okay? So the first petition has everything to do with the word of God. So you're praying for your pastors. You're praying for the congregation to receive the teaching. You're praying for fathers and mothers, heads of households, to teach their children the word. You're praying for families and marriages to live according to the word of God and so forth. Okay, second petition, how does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. So as the first petition highlighted word of God, the second petition is intrinsically connected because it highlights the gift of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. That our Father in heaven would give us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. So faith is the essence of the kingdom of God in our hearts among us in the church. 
So where there's faith in Christ, created by the word and spirit of God, there is the kingdom of Christ. There is his gracious reign. Okay? When our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word. Can you imagine this prayer? Lord, give me your Holy Spirit so that I believe your word if it is your will. Well, that's absurd. He absolutely wants us to believe the promises of his holy word. This is what I mean about being able to pray with certainty. And the beauty of the small catechism is it is fantastic at opening up our mind and heart to understand what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Finally, how is God's will, this is under the third petition, how is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name, first petition, or let his kingdom come, second petition, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word, first petition, and faith, second petition, until we die. Now, I interrupted your reciting of that by interjecting so that you would see those connections. It's God's will to keep you in his word. It's God's will to keep you in the true faith. In fact, that's the most important thing. If you die with God's word in the true faith, well, you have not a thing to worry about because you'll stand righteous before the throne of grace. Okay? So God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. The devil doesn't want you to believe. The devil doesn't want you to follow God's word. The world doesn't want you to follow God's word. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? The, the world doesn't want you to believe. Nor does your flesh want to listen to God's word. Remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you hear New Year's Day sermon? Okay, well, you got to listen to that. If you didn't hear New Year's Day sermon, you got to listen to that. Okay? The devil, the world, and our sinful nature did not want to hear that sermon. So God's will is done when he breaks and hinders, stops, Every evil plan and purpose of devil world and our sinful nature which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. O Lord, keep me steadfast in your word and faith until I die. Through Christ my Lord, amen. That's a proper prayer. You can pray it with certainty. Now, I didn't open the hymnal that had the catechism when we went through that, which is the final thing I want to say about prayer before we sing. When you learn the catechism by heart, by heart like that, so I can move around in the text freely, it really, this is a means of the Holy Spirit to teach you, to instruct you. So you get past just barely memorizing and being able to recite it. If I wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning, it will shape your mind and your heart, and it will also shape your prayers and give you the words to, to say when you know not what to pray. All right. Let us prepare for the Lord's Supper by singing the first four stanzas of the great catechism hymn on prayer, 
our Father who from heaven above, 766. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. O Almighty God, merciful Father, 
I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we offer before you our common supplications for the well-being of your church throughout the world. So guide and govern her by your Holy Spirit, that all who profess themselves Christians may be led into the way of truth and hold the faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace, and in righteousness of life. Send down upon all ministers of the gospel and upon the congregations committed to their care the healthful spirit of your grace that they may please you in all things. Behold in mercy all who are in authority over us, Supply them with your blessing that they may be inclined to your will and walk according to your commandments. We humbly ask your abiding presence in every situation that you would make known your ways among us. Preserve those who travel, especially Father Wokema and Randy Kirk. Keep them safe and bring Randy back from Nigeria safely. Satisfy the wants of your creatures Help those who call upon you in any need that they may have patience in the midst of suffering and according to your will be released from their afflictions. We pray especially for Reverend Dr. Wolf Kanapi in hospice care and all in our congregation who are sick. All these things we lay before you trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For in the mystery of the Word made flesh, you have given us a new revelation of your glory, that seeing you in the person of your Son, we may know and love those things which are not seen. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, 
holy, Lord God of Sabaoth. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In the beginning you created all things by your word, and in the fullness of time your word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Let your word made flesh dwell richly among us, that faithfully eating his body and drinking his blood, we may receive the fullness of your grace and truth in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. Amen.
O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. O oh God the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>